you rap fans out there, we are naughty by nature. I love, I have all their stuff. I went to Tower Records actually this past weekend and picked it up. Fantastic on vinyl. I endorse it heartily. But this is Market Call. Guy Adami, Dan Nathan, I got my black tea. Not my plain white tea. By the way, hey there, Delilah. If you listen to the lyrics, I think one of the better written songs of the last 20 or so years. Uh, in a few minutes, EY from SoFi will be joining us. And of course, I'm just going to say it, right, Dan? Butters. I think we got Butters. If we don't, you know what? I'll just say the name anyway, because why not? This episode of Market Call is brought to you by SoFi. Get your money right all in one app. Of course, our data provider is FactSet. They're also the presenting sponsor. Dan, financial data and analytics powered by tomorrow. I am not powered by an NBA game last night. The Knicks at home against the Washington Wizards. Listen, I know Beal was back. I mean, they got yeah. three guys that can play, but... Christops Porzingis lighting the Knicks up last night at MSG. No bueno. Back to you. Yeah, the, there you go. That was no bueno. Um, we're trying to get a sports show on the on the risk reversal yeah, media by nature. Uh, dropping that catalog here, so guy so can just get all up in there. And, and you see that Jacob has has started that little. You see that little scrolling uh, thing down there, guy. So he wants us to slam smash slam the, the YouTube. Slam the YouTube people, and it's going well. I think since Massive. we started using the YouTube, so um, again, we like word. all the comments. They work really well there. All right, markets, guy. Yes, um, you and I. I think we set a market call last week, and I know I said it on, on the on the tape on Friday. I mean, listen, if the market continued to rally into the meat of earnings here, it was going to be what you would call a soft ball pitch or something, or fat pitch, I guess. Mm. Right? If you're inclined to kind of fade this move. We talked about, you know, just the quality of the names that had been rallying in the stock market. And again, you know, we saw rates come in pretty hard over the last couple of weeks. And some of the names that were down 60, 70, 80 percent last year in a rising rate environment were doing a lot of the heavy lifting, at least in the market, at least from what I could tell. These were heavily shorted names. So now here we are. We had the bank earnings last week. We they kind of trickled into this week here and, and we're seeing the major industries come in. And I just think it's pretty remarkable. The S&P right now it was up nearly Five percent of the year is now only up one and a half percent. Risk happens fast. You and I were kind of pounding the tables. VIX at eighteen, not a great way to start the year, especially headed into earnings season. I didn't think it was a particularly good setup. I mean, the 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 way the market got started, I think actually was probably a worst case scenario. The way it's going to play uh, play out, I know a lot of people got all gung ho, new bull market, new year, that whole thing. And look, that still could come to fruition. Uh, I guess the good news is we're still probably, even at 3,900, 80 or so S&P handles higher than where we started the year. So that's one little bit of a takeaway. But the other takeaway, and we'll look at a chart clearly, is the fact now a number of times over the last 13 months in this very, um, very distinct downtrend that we find ourselves in, the S&P has traded to that downtrend line a couple times and seemingly has failed. That's also coincided with the 200-day moving average. And then you hear some of the rhetoric out of some of these bankers you hear more and more calls of, you know, the soft landing crowd seems to be leaving on the same flights that some of this Davos crowd is leaving. And it, it's a really, again, it's a hard, um, I think it's hard to connect the dots to where the market's bottomed and we're starting a new bull market in this environment. And it's not me being dogmatic. Again, it just comes down to reading the tea leaves. And a lot of things that we've talked about are seemingly coming to fruition over the last couple yeah, of trading and, sessions. And, and you know what? We're going to get to John Butter's work. He is the senior earnings insight analyst over there at FactSet. And he is not with us. He was here last week with 
this guy, but we have his work and he's talking about profit margins and how they've come in over the last, um, you know, handful of quarters here. And that's going to be a big part of this. And I just want to kind of point you to, um, you're talking about sentiment as we ended in, or, you know, entered this year here. Um, Carl Quintanilla, um, Q, our friend. CQ. Can, yeah, he's quoting J.P. Morgan's desk uh, this morning. Is this uh, is this the moment the uh, the recent rally is over? It appears so. While U.S. market intelligence began the year neutral to bullish, it is beginning to feel like we are entering a bad news is bad news market. At the uh, disinflation narrative has become consensus. So again, you know, you mentioned this. I think yesterday in market calling on fast money last night. You know, when we got that PPI data that was weak. You know, we've gotten some weak data, and the stock market has started to take it as okay. This is not great. If we have a weakening economy in the face of a Federal Reserve that seems to be, you know, kind of hell bent on staying pat with their kind of hawkish stance. So, again, bad news, bad news, bad for the stock market. Agreed. And, you know, that's one of the themes we've been talking about. By the way, the market initially, I know you know this, initially yesterday, the knee jerk was to go higher until they trotted board out. And he, again, talked about as hawkishly as they've been for quite some time. And the JP Morgan note, and it's interesting, we have Marco Kalanovic on our show often on Fast Money. I, I say Kalanovic, it's a dangerous word for me because it sounds like those things you drink before you go for like, you know what I'm talking about, like the yeah. colonoscopy, yeah. but that's yeah. Neither, yeah. neither here nor there. Right. But what he actually said, and this is someone who's prone to be bullish, um, and I'm not, I'm not trying to paint him into a corner, but he said at these levels, a soft landing was actually priced in. So you start to connect the dots there and read the tea leaves. What he's saying is, you know, if in fact we get a soft landing, well, we've priced it in already. So that leads me to believe that if we don't, we're nowhere near priced in. And again, that's where we come to some of the math that we've been doing. And that's how I think we get you to 3,400 in the S&P, not in a straight line, but over time. Yeah, well, I think yields have a lot to do with this, right? Mm -hmm. so the, the, you know, we started this year with a 10-year U.S. Treasury, you know, 3.87%. This morning, it made a low, um, a, you know, a multi-month low here, just above that 200-day. Might have even kissed it, guys, so it's below that uptrend um, that's been in place there. And, you know, that's a call that you and I have both been on. We've been positioned that way, you and the TLT, uh, me and the GOVT, um, you know, may have to take another look at this thing. Let's see. Um, again, it's really hard to kind of square the circle when you think about um, what the Fed is saying, what they are going to do with rates, right, and relative to how quickly inflation is coming down and what the 10-year is saying. But this is one thing that, you know, kind of stuck. We were on Fast Money last night. We were talking about home builders, right? And, mm -hmm. you know, my view quite simply is like, despite what's going on in treasury yields, I just can't see mortgage rates coming down so quickly. So we were talking about the 30-year fix at 6% down from maybe 7.5% but up we knew people i knew people in my life who had locked in 30 year money on their homes in a year and a half ago guy below three percent so the idea that that has doubled i just don't think the powers that be that are that interested in writing mortgages want to see that come down too quickly unless demand for those mortgages is just wiped out and so you saw these mortgage application you saw that number rise fairly precipitously with just the sort of decline that we've had from above 7% to near 6%. Talk to me a little bit about that. And then let's kind of talk about home builders and kind of related names because home builders are getting hit hard today. So let's just uh, try to unwrap this. So in fact, the people that you spoke of, they in fact got their money right. Hopefully they did it all in one application. Ow. Well yeah. done by them. See what I did there? Number one. Yeah. Number two, in terms of the home builders, and you know we talked about this mid-year last year the trade sometimes is as simple as as if rates are going lower 
these home builder stocks start to go higher. Danny Moses speaks to that as well. And if you look at a name like DHI, for example, I'm not asking Jacob to pull this up, but you know, that's a stock that's probably rallied some 50% off the lows and is approaching, when I say approaching, probably within 10% of a 52-week high. So in terms of the home builders and that whole segment, although clearly um, some headwinds out there, it's a supply-demand thing, really what it comes down to. And there's still a supply problem for the home builders. So maybe it is as simple as if you think rates are going lower, these go higher. And if you can put up the 10-year chart real quick, Carter talks about this. EY has discussed it. We're right at the 200-day moving average here. Um, it's a logical place to pause. But once again, bond volatility is back. So when you see the 10-year yields move 16 or 17 basis points in a day, to me, that's not signifying that we're anywhere near the lows for the broader equity market. And I do think we go lower in the 10-year. I'd stay again, that the two-year is going to remain sticky. And I do think that inversion can get out to negative 1%, which I don't believe will be supportive of equities. Um, so that's it. That's a bit of a pastiche. You'll say, how can we bullish home builders here? It's not that I'm gangbuster bullish. I think it can, they can surprise people in a lower rate environment. Yeah, well, let's see. That that's what makes markets. Yes, that that is that that XHB looks like it, it probably finds its way back to its 200 day down there near 60. So again, you know, you want to. I mean, in a market where there's a lot of uncertainty and as far as the economy is concerned, a lot of really confusing, um, you know, bits and bobs, as they say, um, as far as different risk assets telling you different things. I think you want to buy things when they're coming your way rather than chasing them. And I think that'll be the story of the January effect. Um, before we get to Liz, I just want to hit one thing here. So last mm -hmm. week was January 11th. Today is January 19th. So it was eight trading days ago. I detailed a bearish trade in the GLD, that is the ETF, that tracks that shiny metal that you have been very bullish of of late. Enamored with. Yeah, I, I, you know, listen, I, I thought that rally was getting kind of long in the tooth. I thought it was kind of getting into blow off top territory. I looked out to February expiration. I bought a $10 wide put spread very near the money. I think the ETF was trading just around 174, about the February 174, 164 put spread. I paid two and a half dollars. That was a quarter of the width of the $10 wide spread. And, you know, I found myself yesterday at about 50% or so of the price. So the, the ETF price going higher, my bearish trade losing value. And as I said, when I entered this trade, I like to use a 50% mental stop. Well, I got stopped out, people, and I ended up selling this thing a little bit below that 50%. But again, I was trying to hang on. Now, here's the thing, guy, look at this chart. I mean, you know, it filled in that gap from all the way from last spring here. Um, I really kind of feel like I was early, obviously. Okay, I'm taking my loss. I kind of really want to roll this thing. You I want to do it again. I understand. Yeah. And, and I said to you when you put it on, I said, I like what you're doing here. I understand the thesis. We talked about the timing being critical. Yeah. You know, but sometimes you, when your thesis is right, it's very hard to line the timing up with that. I think you're going to be okay with this. You know, I think if you were to put it on again or roll it from here, there's yeah. going to be an opportunity at some point. Because as you know, and as we've outlined a number of times, the last thing gold does is a straight line higher. You see back and fills all the time, and we're probably setting up for one. Yeah, just and just from a trading perspective, again, you know, you have to have discipline, especially mm -hmm. when you're trading options. And again, you know, I've had eight trading days go against me. We get that much closer um, to February expiration. And, you know, you just got to be able to pick and choose because if I just sit there and wait for this thing, it might pull back to 175. But I own the 174 put strike. You know, you know what I'm saying? So those are going to start to lose value. And you just want to kind of give yourself the best shot, right? The best probability of being successful. Me continuing to hold these does not do that. So I am likely to roll these up 
and out. So a higher strike, maybe longer dated. All right, guy. All right, hold on. Before we bring in EY, bring her in anyway, because we got got a couple of questions. So Harry Harry makes a comment here. By the way, I mean, your parents clearly had a sense of humor. It's like William B. Williams or something like that. I mean, it's just a ridiculous name. But listen, hey, you know what? That's clearly your cross the bear. But Harry Harry says, overall, CNBC boys which is somewhat misogynistic, but that's okay, are fear-mongering us, which, you know something, you know why I take some umbrage with that? I'll tell you why in a nutshell, because in 08 and 09, when the world went to shit, all we heard was all you could share leaders out there, you didn't tell us anything was coming. We're not fear-mongering anything. We're just trying to tell you what we think. If you disagree, that's what makes markets. I mean, fear works to the upside as well. And the panic that we've seen on the updates far outweighs the panic we've seen to the down, downside. So if you think that's fear-mongering, as Dan would say, have at it. And this one for you, I'm going to give you a little time, EY, before you get your bearings about you. Matthew Nemchik, I love that name. He could play in the NBA, clearly, maybe win an MVP. By the way, Luka Doncic is the shit. What is your take on the new way that CPI will be calculated? I don't know that, but I'm sure that's something you can talk about, EY. But welcome to Market Call. Man, that was a lot of shit coming out of my mouth. How are you? That was a lot. And you know what? These fear-mongering comments, I bit back at somebody on Twitter today who got oh. on me about being bearish and had been on me for a long time. And I was like, look, the data is the data. And I'm with you. I'm totally with you. We're not trying to scare people. We're not trying to talk anything down. I have money in the market. I don't want the market to go down. But the reality is where we are in the economic cycle, what all the signals are that are going off, and they amount to more every single day, finally the market is recognizing that bad news might actually be bad news. Yeah. Well, also, well, wait, 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 wait. Yeah. I got to call, call Guy out on something. He acted oh, like at the top of the show, he acted like he knew something about Naughty by Nature. Yeah, no, it's my favorite group. <laughs> so look, go to Twitter, everybody. When I retweeted our show announcement today, I used lyrics from a Naughty by Nature song. I grew up in the 80s and 90s, so I really came into my being with 90s rap and 90s grunge, but either way. And I bet Guy 50 bucks yeah. if he could tell me who sang that song. And he, he couldn't tell me. So then he came on here and he pretended like he knew all this stuff about night. Well, you know, that's that's the license I yeah. have at the top of the show. But they anyway. say OPP too. Feel me flow, OPP, hip hop parade. I was I was actually in a bar. I was at a restaurant the other night where OPP came on. Um, just to, then that actually happened. Okay. In Charlie Bird in, in New York City. Fabulous restaurant there. Ryan Hardy, owner chef there. Check it out if you're in New York anytime soon, people. Um you know, it's it's interesting though, Liz, um, that you you come in here and and we're talking about you know kind of getting dunked on a little bit. Um, you know, when you think back, guy, to what you just said, oh eight, oh nine, and and back then, you know, if you were worried about your money, you could open the Wall Street Journal, right? You could probably, I mean, there wasn't social, right? You didn't have these sorts of communities that were talking about stocks or whatever. And I could see that, you know, again, that you know that was that much more important. People like focused on a show on CNBC and getting market participants thoughts but nowadays man i mean people have so much access to so much information right you can get all of your money right in one app i mean you know like i mean i, I mean my, my boys think about yeah exactly well, there you go but think about how accessible we are and one of the things that i love about what we are doing and now liz you are on with us twice a week you know guy and i are talking four times a week on our properties man this is not sound bites we're here we'll take your questions we're engaging you know what i mean so um it's not like you gotta have to stare into a tv and make some big you know, thoughts about what this uh, big blowhard has to say. All right, enough of that here. Um, that's and, my. And bet. I think, like, we don't spend hours before this planning what we're going to say. This is legitimately 
off the cuff. Like you're getting an unfiltered. We answer the questions as they come at us. By the way, I love all these comments about rap music. Thanks. Yeah, <laughs> as do I, man. I got to tell you, it's, it's like here, Dan, I'm sorry. I, I promise after this, I will not say a word. Yeah. Me and rap music, there's a scene when Nick Nolte walks into a bar in 48 hours, if you recall, and they say, what are you, what are you doing here, Holmes? That's my favorite place. I mean, he was about as out of place as he possibly could have been. That's me in the rap music genre. But back you to you, Dan. Funny. I, I can see Nick Nolte playing an elderly guy, Adami, in the, in the biopic. So like that, 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 that makes absolute perfect sense. All right, Liz, let, let's hit a few things here. Um, we have this brilliant mind. <laughs> Um, with us. And, and, you know, we just kind of highlighted the interesting action that I think in, in the XHB on a day where you see 10 year yields coming in, you saw really good mortgage application data um, this week. You know, again, to your point that you just made, lots of cross currents, lots of moving parts here. Um, Thoughts on yields right here. And, and you know, again, I thought it was really interesting that yesterday I saw consumer staples getting hit really hard. I saw utilities get really hit really hard. These are like defensive, higher yielding sort of sectors, yet rates are coming in. That didn't make a whole like a lot of sense, did it? Well, I mean... I think on some level, a lot of this year is going to be about valuations and those defensive plays are slightly overvalued. Yeah. But also, if if you got really scared, right, just at a very simple level, if you got really scared, you want out of the stock market and into the bond market. Yeah. And I think that's a lot more of what happened. So if there was a clear rotation, it was maybe people saying, OK, I was using bond proxies so much for the proxies. Now I just want the real bonds and I'm just going to buy treasuries. And we saw this huge rally, obviously, uh, across the curve in treasuries yesterday. About home builders, so I have this level, just this mental level on the S&P, about 3,500 is when I'm going to start nibbling and, and dripping in. And that's where, because I do think that there's another big downdraft coming, that's where I would start buying the cyclical stuff. And home builders are at the top of my list in that group. I don't think it's a bad idea to buy them here. The only thing I would caution you on is that now that we have economic data that's coming in, and I watch it very closely, every single little dot that comes in, we're starting to see trends in a lot of these downdrafts. So things like retail sales disappointed for the second month in a row, right? We've got capacity utilization disappointing, or at least moving down for the third month in a row. Industrial production disappointed for the second month in a row. So cyclically, we are on that downtrend. Home builders probably see a little bit more down before they have a durable upside. But the other thing is, if you look at the, the data that came, I think it was yesterday, it might have been today. Uh, building permits, although the rest of the, the housing data was pretty strong, building permits were down and they disappointed yeah. quite a bit. That's not good for home builders. So anybody that's going to be out there and buying it, if you want to follow Guy into that, I think it's fine. But you have to have this mentality of, all right, look, I'm buying it down from maybe its peak in 2021, 2022. It might go down first before it really finds durable upside. Yeah, I mean, guy used the expression with the gold, you know, the back and fill. I mean, nothing goes, yeah. you know, trees don't grow to the sky. They actually do. I don't get that metaphor. Yeah, but, that's um, one of those things when people are searching for things to say, you know, cash on the sidelines, yeah. cautiously optimistic, yeah. opportune, you know, buying no opportunity. That's no just, time. yeah. Do you get, no, you guys, if you can don't. see guys. It actually makes me want to fucking just if you guys could see guy on on the on the set of fast money when he hears those sorts of things and he oh, knows the camera's bad, not on him he's just shaking his head all right yeah liz you just mentioned you know you want to kind of move into some cyclicals when you think that kind of you know the a bit of whatever environment we're going to be in whether it's a recession whether it's a mild slowdown whatever the heck it is when that's discounted and you know a sector guy that we got to go to is semis and mm -hmm. we know that semis have had yeah. this massive 
outperformance off the lows, um, you know, in the market. And there's a bunch of sectors that have really outperformed. You know, like one of the things that say after that XHB chart and you look at this SMH chart, that's ETF that tracks the semis, um, the charts are getting a bit more constructive, right? Mm -hmm. and, and, and again, we've highlighted the fact, let's just pull up, see if they can pull up that NASDAQ 100 chart. And we've highlighted the fact that we saw this rotation out of NASDAQ stocks into other areas of the market. It could have been some of the cyclicals, industrials, um, some of the defensive. Look at how much closer the NASDAQ is to its recent lows, right? And and then when let's go back to the SMH and you see that um, outperformance. Guy, talk to me a little bit about that. You've been very focused on NVIDIA because you yeah. think it's a sentiment leader. And it's also one that while it's had you know many turns on its valuation come in hard, it's still expensive to many of its peers. Thoughts on semis and how important of a sector it is for this to watch um, because, again, because of the cyclicality. Well, I mean, I think it's extraordinarily important. Tim Seymour says this, but I've said it before as well. Semiconductors, to a large extent, I mean, that's the new oil, if you think about it, in terms of the importance to the overall economy. Extraordinarily cyclical. And I think what's, I think what's happening is people are trying to front run probably the worst being over or within you know a few months of us seeing the worst, which I totally get. Problem is, of course, valuations for a lot of these names are stretched. And NVIDIA, which rallied, I think, close to 80% from the October low, went from 108 to, I think, 180-ish or something, back and filled in the 140s, back in 170s. I mean, that stock now continues to be in this little pennant formation. You know, I still think there's a real chance that they disappoint. And I think, to a certain extent, the semis, this last little run-up, took their cues from Taiwan Semi, which I find to be somewhat interesting. You talk about it, Dan, all the time. You know, along with Microsoft, Apple, I mean, Taiwan Semi, probably one of the five most important companies in the world. And if you look at what they said, I mean, their guidance for the first half was pretty miserable, but then they guided higher for the back half of the year. And my pushback on that one was, how do they have any clarity whatsoever in this environment to be able to make comments like that? What I thought was happening is they're buying themselves a few months. And that might prove to be correct, by the way, but I don't think there's any way to foresee or have clarity in the back half of this year, let alone have clarity into the first couple quarters of this year. That's just my sense. So in a nutshell, you know, I think the rally has been interesting. I think the rally fails. Yeah, I would just say one thing on, on the semis and in a company like Taiwan Semi that makes so many chips for so many other um, you know chip makers and OEMs. I mean, if you think about some of the commentary they said about you know smartphones and PCs just much weaker than they expect in the current environment, they also have a good sense for a lot of these companies' product roadmaps and where they need to be. And so, like you know, I get nervous. I've I've heard this for twenty years. The kind of the the second half loaded sort of you know guidance. It doesn't really usually pan out to your point, guy, the way it is. But you know, some of these these um, patterns these these production patterns are becoming um a bit more uh you know i mean you could track them a little easier liz thoughts on semis we've spent a lot of time with you semis versus software over the last few months are you are you warming to semis if you take nvidia's valuation out of it there are a lot of very reasonable names in the space um or you just think of it as a monolith is a bit more like of an early cycle play within tech this is on that cyclicals list so honestly i mean when I'm ready to buy, home builders are first. Like the minute that I turn bullish, it'll be it'll be bullish with a vengeance, but cyclical stuff and cyclical semis for sure. So look at home builders, then semis. Software would be on that list. I think software is probably okay to nibble on now if you're going to be a long-term investor. And then looking at just broad sectors that are cyclical. So financials, which I know I've been hot on for a while. Um, at that point, if there was an economic downturn that's confirmed, then it's industrials too. So you really do have to be consistent with that trade. But semiconductors, 
uh, guy, I think you said it was Tim Seymour, semiconductors really are the new transports. They are the new indicator of cyclicality in the market. And if you, if you chart semis versus software, it's much like charting consumer discretionary versus consumer staples. It's much like charting transports versus the Dow, right? You can do that now and really use it as a, a decently good timing mechanism, or at least a decently good trend following guide at how the market is feeling about cyclicals. The last thing I want to say about this, just broad index wise, because you guys covered it at the top of this section. If everybody that's watching, look at the patterns that start to happen. I'm willing to bet that this is what will happen for the next few months. What we saw in 2022 was very much a rate driven market. So this big sell off in tech, this big sell off in growth stocks and very rate sensitive sectors. Even if we see a sell-off that materializes and lasts for a while, I'm willing to bet it hits cyclicals harder. So even in some of these days where we've seen downdrafts, you see the Dow sell-off a lot harder. That was mostly due to a couple of financial names, but that's typical cyclical names. So last year, it was a story of, all right, we've got monetary tightening. The market has to get down to a place that is reasonable for a tightening economy. Now it's, oh my gosh, we might have a recession. A recession's looking more and more likely. The market has to get down to a place that's reasonable for a cyclical pullback. So you're going to start to see pain in different sectors because the pain has already largely occurred in the rate-sensitive sectors. I think we're over-indexing commentary for the Fed now. Now it's about a recession. Well, okay. All right. Let's let's let, we're going to continue that theme a little bombs. bit. Maybe maybe we can hit that on Monday on on the tape podcast, which Liz is now uh, joining Guy and myself every Monday. So check that out in your favorite podcast store. Real quickly, you know, I'm looking at my email here. Not that I got bored of what Liz was saying, but um, a, an email from Worth Charting comes across. I'm not going to tell you what the name is, guys. You got to go listen. And I'm not hocking this thing for the heck of it. But Carter, who has been on market call, generally bearish on the broad market, um, he put out a bullish note on a name that in the software space that I wouldn't have thought on valuation on a whole host of other things. And again, I, that's what I love about Carter's work is that he is able guy, you agree with this, he's able to find really good technical setups, despite, a, you know, a macro view that might be going the opposite way. Thoughts exactly on that, exactly on that right. He is plot. fundamental agnostic. I mean, he is willing and able as they yeah. say. And if I had a guess, and I have not seen note, it's either Oracle or Salesforce. You know what? It's it, it's in that genre, guys. Genre. Okay, so maybe so when, when Carter comes on next with okay, us, maybe I don't we'll, want to. We'll I don't want to like give away any. Right. By the way, some I want to just address it. Yeah. I'm sorry, Dan. I apologize. Yeah. Somebody <laughs> said, and I know this is meant to be a compliment, and I'm sure EY will take it as such. EY is potential to be the next Lizanne Saunders. Now I would push back and say. <laughs> Liz, EY is going to be the next EY. Okay, <laughs> she has much higher bars to hurdle just as an F and that's not, not to cast aspersions against Lizanne Saunders, but um, the, the pastures ahead for EY from SoFi are far greener back to you, Dan. Yeah. It's just going to be like, no comment. I, All right. I love well, Lizanne Saunders. I, I, she, you, don't gotta, you don't got a comment. <laughs> you know, I'm right. I mean, she's a, she's a machine on the Twitter here. Um, and yeah, we know, we do know you're right guy. All right. Let's look at financials really quickly, because again, we just mentioned earlier that, uh, you know, we got earnings season kicked off with like the five major banks all reporting last Friday. I thought one of the most interesting things was that JP Morgan, which had doubled the performance of the S and P off its October lows. I think it was up like 37, 38% or something like that. 
chart was looking really constructive. Jamie Dimon had kind of been tamping down a little bit of his really negative um, tone that he had had earlier in 2022. And that stock gapped lower. I think it closed maybe 139, 140 on Thursday. It was trading at 135 um, pre-opening. And then just, you know, that opening print, it was off to the races. And look what's happened over the last few trading sessions. It's given all that back. And now it's below it. Let's just quickly look at the one year. And, you know, at the time on market call, I said, really keep an eye on that low that it made on Friday, because if it goes through that. So to me, this is really interesting. The last thing I'll just say on this before I get your guys take is like, look at the XLF. We know that Berkshire is the largest holding makes up a big chunk of that. But most of the major banks um, are, you know, about 50 percent of the way to that. Most of them reported. If you look at that thing, I mean, again, you know, that 35, 36 level Massive resistance got rejected there. Guy, thoughts on the price action in the banks because what they had to say now is in the rearview mirror. A very important sector here, especially as rates are going lower. This is one you're going to want to keep a very close eye on. Uh, Paul Tagliabu, Patrick Ewing, Alonzo Mourning, and then subsequently Dikembe Mutombo, all great centers from Georgetown University. And Dikembe, after he used to swat people's shit would do this. And that's exactly what happened with JP Morgan. It got its shit swatted at that resistance level. Now, I don't think banks are going to crash here, but I will say this. I, I listened to and saw what Discovery Financial said yesterday about some credit concerns and delinquencies and those types of things. That, to me, is the start of everything. And it flows from there, either up, depending on how you look at it, or down. So from some of the lower credit stuff to some of the higher uh, credit stuff. And I think we're in the early innings of a potential little bit of cr credit hiccup. Now, that's not going to be positive for banks. I don't think it crashes the banks, but I do think there's probably a little room to the downside. There. All right. Before Liz, before you get in here, I mean, I'm glad you brought up this Discover guy because, you know, it closed at 102 and a half yesterday. Okay. We were talking about those results on Fast Money last night. The stock opened this morning at 95. You can do the math 102 to 95. That's six and a half percent or so. That's a big one day move. You know where the stock is right now? 101 and a half. So it's almost doing exactly what JP Morgan did on Friday. I find those individual reactions after news with big gaps on big volume really interesting. So we're going to keep an eye on that one. Liz, thoughts? You just mentioned that you are, I think you said uber bullish or something like that, oh, which no. guy probably got, got, you didn't say that? I she don't know. That's, a little, she that's a little hyperbolic for yeah. what I, yeah, Bad. I didn't say uber bullish. Um, however, it, so because I think 2023 is a story of valuations, financials continue to be one of the most attractive on a valuations basis. And it, the old kind of saying, the higher it goes, the further it can fall. They just didn't really ever go that high. Mm -hmm. So yes, they could go down. It could get worse before it gets better. I yeah. think there's a couple things working for the banks here in the sense that all the commentary we heard was that they're being almost overly careful, right? They've set aside a lot for loan losses. If it is not as bad as what somebody like maybe Jamie, Jamie Dimon is predicting, the banks are in good shape then, right? So if they are that protected, they're in good shape to weather a terrible storm. If the storm is just mild, they're going to be okay. So that's a reason why, you know, if you're looking for a place to still be in the equity market, it's okay to still be in financials if you're in them. I will say I'm not adding to them right now, but I didn't sell out of financials coming into this. The other thing is what I think we've learned from the big banks and earnings season is that your revenue mix really, really matters. And if you're overly dependent on something or if the market isn't clear on what your identity is, I'm not going to name names, 
it's not going to reward you, right? And something that, and I don't, I don't talk about SoFi as a stock necessarily, but something that we've tried to do as a financial is diversify that revenue mix for this exact problem, right? We used to be very, very dependent on lending, and now we're not going to be quite as dependent on lending for the next two to three years. There's a method to that madness. And what we saw in the results was that if you're overly dependent on things that are going to get hurt in a consumer-driven recession, you're going to feel the pain, particularly in 2023. So David Solomon is watching right now, and he's taking that to heart. Can we, can we, can we, go, to, can we go to EY's note, Dan? Yeah. Oh my guy. Um, yeah. Sorry, David. Love your music. EY, you don't um yeah, DJ D Soul. EY, you don't usually I, I haven't heard you talk a whole heck of a lot about emerging uh, emerging markets, um yeah. China. That's where you kind of focused on your uh, on your note on the SoFi um blog. Maybe we'll hear something on the important part on your next uh uh podcast that drops um on mm-hmm. on this one. It seems like it seems like valuation is something that is drawing a lot of people to focus on emerging markets and maybe yeah. China in particular. Talk to us what you're thinking. Well, the reason I wrote about China this week is because it was such a hot topic. It's in every single headline. It almost felt weird not to acknowledge it. And because it just reopened, there's a lot of prognosticators out there saying, oh, my gosh, this changes everything. It's, you know, it's bad because it drives inflation, but it's good for global demand. I mean, I think it's both in the long term. Yes, China reopening does represent a huge swath of consumers that can go out and have activity. But remember, and that's this, this section about what's past is prologue. Remember what happened to us when we all reopened at the same time. We went back in about two or three times before we really did it for good because it was a, it was a little violent, the reopening, right? Everybody got sick again. We couldn't handle it. We didn't have enough workers. We, it, it was not clean. It was messy. And that's happening for China right now. So this isn't necessarily a bell that got rung and everybody should say, oh, my gosh, we can now invest haphazardly in emerging markets, everything's going to be fine. I think that they need to work through the process just like we did. I think they'll do it in a more accelerated fashion because it's just one country versus us trying to open up with Europe and with everybody else at the same time. Uh, But over the long term, this is decently good for consumption. This Mm. is good for demand. In the short term, it's probably not great for commodity prices if we're trying to control inflation, and it's not great for uh, some of the, you know disease spread and, and all the things that we deal with from that front. Um, it also could drive inflation in some other sectors. So I would let some of the dust settle on this. Later in the year, you might hear me say that international and EM are a good buy. Again, it's all about valuations for me this year. Sometimes things are cheap for a reason, but international and EM, I think, have less to unwind, fewer problems than the U.S. does. Yeah. And well, you know what, Dan, I, I happen to agree with her. Tim Seymour, again, to use his name now three times on the show, he's made comments <laughs> similar. And I love the much to do about China. By the way, I believe, if I'm not mistaken, 1620 or so was when that was published. Of course, the uh, protagonist, Benedict, not Dick, Benedict, and I believe Beatrice, for yeah. you playing our Shakespeare home game. But this will make the Fed's job, I think, Dan, that much more difficult, by the way, which is one of the reasons, Dan, I think they continue to speak as hawkishly as they do because they see what's coming down the road here. 
Yeah, so real quickly, you know, last week I put a bearish trade on the FXI using options. I'm looking out uh, just uh, just a month as so that's the iShares large cap um, Chinese ETF here. And, you know, again, this one, and we said it at the time, Guy, if you if they could throw up the, the FXI chart, it just broken out of this kind of one-year downtrend, broken above its 200-day moving average. It's a pretty constructive chart. I'm going to take a quick crack at this here. I'm going to keep a tight leash on this trade. Um, I just thought I'd do a little bit of a back and fill. You can see that's a, a trading theme of mine right now near term and lastly you know here's a two-year chart of the shanghai composite guy i mean this one is like you know it, again you know we're not trading the shanghai composite here but um you know pretty powerful meaningful breakout chinese equities have not been on anybody's radar we know that there was that that whole thing about china uninvestable and this and that and i'd say this i'd say that chinese equities if you're a u.s investor still are not that interesting when you mm -hmm. think of all the potential geopolitical risks and the rising tension that we have on an economic standpoint with china i'm not sure given the lack of transparency they have relative to many of the names here that that valuation discount is attractive enough to me we got thousands and thousands of stocks listed here and and also in europe and and plenty of etfs so to me i i don't know i mean guy thoughts thoughts on that because we went back and forth on that whole uninvestable thing and you know listen i i had a fxa trade from the long side um a couple months ago worked out pretty well that's just trading but I'm talking about investing in this region. Yeah, well, it's interesting. You know, you mentioned uninvestable. I will tell you that the courses of uninvestability were loud the weekend of October 19th and 20th. And we walked in on the 21st and said, I don't know what people are looking at, but Alibaba absolutely made a short-term low. The stock, I think, on that Friday mm -hmm. traded down to 58.60, closed at 63. Look where it is now. I'll say this, though, that Johnson, Ryan Cohen, and I can say that EY can't. I think, you know, you talk about ringing a bell. Well, I think that announcement that he took in some sort of activist stake in Alibaba, which yeah. is just mind-numbingly stupid, um, that might be the bell ring for some of these Chinese stocks, Dan. All right, this is this is an important one because I think this is kind of the linchpin of a lot of what we're talking Butters. about. Valuation. Yeah, it is John Butters. I'm just saying, is, I mean, that's well, like, uh, like just say, it's like I walk around the house sometimes. Like if I wake up, just that an. I just say butters. Like I find myself just, I don't even know why. You know, some, of your wind -ups, some of the windups to guys' statements are like 65 minutes long. <laughs> and then he just cuts you off in the middle of yours and ruins it. Butters. You know, like. Here's the deal. You know, like this, is, this is live streaming. People are tuning in. They're 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 coming for this. They're they're coming for the back and forth in this yeah. and that. We got all these comments. We got Liz here from. Yeah, but we got to so, clip stuff. So I got to be. Oh, clear. We gotta, yeah. but, but, all right. So here, here's what we're going to do. Okay, guys, it's time. John Butters, he is the senior earnings insight analyst over there at FactSet. He was on our fine program market call uh, last week, and we had a, a bit of a preview of Q4 earnings and what we're going to hear from a lot of the companies in the S&P 500 and, you know, where valuations are relative to, you know, a whole host of things here. And that was a really interesting one. We clipped that. We put it out on the Twitter. So check that out. But this week's is really important as we get in the meat of Q4 earnings season. It's about net profit margins. So John mm -hmm. is kind of taking a look at the, the blended net profit margin for the S&P 500 for Q4 in 2022 is 11.5%. This net profit margin is below 
the year ago net profit margin of 12, nearly 12 and a half percent, but slightly above the five year average of 11.4. So I think that's really interesting here. So we're coming into a time and we've talked about all of these inputs to profit margins, right? So inflationary pressures, wages is a big one here. Um, obviously, the dollar for U.S. multinationals has been a big thing. So, Guy, when you think about this, as we head into um, you know, earnings season, we're going to get a lot of guidance for Q1, the period that we're in right now, but also full year 2023, expectations for margins. These are the reasons why companies cut staff, You know, like start to think about different cost-cutting measures here. What are we likely to hear? And, and do you want to see profit margins get hit because we need to see expectations get lower as companies get leaner, setting up for a better profit scenario, maybe in the back half of yeah. this year? I want to see them get hit in the context of if that were to happen, it would signify we're a lot closer to the end than we are the beginning of this market sell-off. So that's the answer to that question. That's why I do want to see it. But I don't think we've endured enough pain. And you know, companies, and it's happening around a litany of industries, are not cutting jobs because margins are getting better. They're concerned about their margins. The first thing they do uh, to try to maintain those margins to cut costs. And that's what we're seeing right before our eyes. Problem, of course, is that works until it doesn't. And then there's a new round of things that are going to cut into the margin. So I think we're probably in the mid-innings of margin compression. But I think there's room to go, which, again, is a healthy thing. It yeah. almost by definition has to happen. You have to trough in margins, in my opinion, in order for the market to put in the bottom. We're getting closer. We're not there yet. Yeah. And so, Liz, when you look at this chart here, and, and Butters brings up the point, if 11.5% is the actual net profit for the quarter, we'll mark the sixth straight quarter of net profit margin declines and the lowest net profit margin since Q4 2020. We know what was going on in 2020. Talk, talk to us about how you're thinking about profit margins in the S&P 500 this year. Okay, so for all of our viewers, well, first of all, there's a comment that says, is Liz Young 35 or 40? She's 40. She'll be 41 in July. Third person, third person. She accepts all birthday presents. Anyway, just let, let's just cover the verbiage here. Earnings means the bottom of the income statement, okay? We're talking about bottom line. Remember what happens to revenue in a non-inflationary environment or a disinflationary environment. If you just look at what revenue growth is expected to be in 2023, much lower than 2022. I think it was, what, 10% in 2022? We're hoping for maybe 4% in 2023. So that alone compresses margins because if costs aren't going down, and we know they're not going down as fast as headline inflation because wages are still elevated, then margins are just mathematically going to be compressed. The good news is margins have trended up over time because the, the change in makeup of the index, so things like service industries making it more like technology companies, right? You have fatter margins, which is a good thing. And there's more of a buffer there to, I guess, absorb some of the pain that we're going to see. But yes, I do think margins are going to compress. They have to mathematically, and they should. And what we will find then on the other side is, number one, you've got survival of the fittest. The companies come out of it. Maybe they have less to work with. They have to be really good stewards of capital. And that's how you decide whether or not it's a company you want to invest in for the long term. That is a big fundamental reason why you would make that decision. So we should return to a time when you're investing based on fundamentals and not so much on macro. And I think that this is part of that process in the course of 90 seconds ey dropped some darwin shit on your asses then she went all godfather with the buffer stuff family's got a lot of buffers dan i mean that was fantastic yes guy just got triggered 
I could sit here and read these comments all day because I'm cracking up, Dan. I apologize. All right, real quickly, before we get out of here, let's hit Netflix after the close tonight. This is one of the first big tech companies to report. Um, Guy, you've had a really nice call on this one. You've been basically saying to reload um, on the long side. You thought we would see a refill of that massive gap that we had um, last year. And again, this is one of the stories of pull forward during the pandemic. Um, and, and, you know, as, as soon as things opened up, we saw people kind of drop in their subscription. And we saw just the profitability on some of the areas that they had expanded geographically less. So they're moving into, um, you know, an ad supported um, cheaper version of it. Well, guy, you got your point. Look at this chart here. We basically filled in that mm -hmm. gap. Maybe it's a little bit of a double top. If you go back a month or two here, you see that kind of uptrend channel that it's been in. Are we going to see a back and fill to that 200 day moving average? I'll just remind our viewers here. The implied move in the options market is about $31 in either direction. So just just a, as a quick kind of, you know, back of the envelope, if you're looking at the at the money straddle, that is the call premium and the put premium, they both expire tomorrow. You add them together. That is the implied move. You divide that combination of those about 31 bucks by the strike 322 and a half. And you get about 10, uh, 10 in either direction. That's a big move here. Guy thoughts here because valuation stuck out like a sore thumb yeah. late last year, the relative strength of the stock, putting a bottom in back in the spring slash summer, you got a stock that's trading, I don't know, 30 times, which is cheap for itself. It's not cheap versus many of its peers. How are you trading this thing into the print? It was a teenager back in the spring in terms of valuation we talked about netflix for the first time in the lifetime of the stock was a buy on valuation basis which we could never have said before and we said that for a while we actually did say that it's probably going to trade up to 345 and fill the gap that's happened now how do you trade it obviously two outcomes here that you highlighted i think if you get this incredible renewed um growth with subs you're probably going to have one of these blow off tops potential for an island reversal to the downside I think if you get that, you sell it with both hands. I happen to think it's probably going to stall here and trade lower. If that's the case, you're looking for the next place to reload, and it probably comes in somewhere around 290 to 295. But, you know, you're basically, I think right now, you're flipping a coin. I, I, my instincts suggest we fail. There's yeah. definitely a possibility for one of these ridiculous reignition of subgrowths, and you see this stock, you know, open $25 higher in the aftermarket. But if that happens, you sell that stock with both hands and you probably look to play uh, a downside move with puts or something along that nature. Yeah. Dan, I, I, listen, I'd just be really surprised if we had that. I think a lot of that, any good news um, is probably in the stock. If you're looking at earnings growth in the mid, you know, single digits, expected sales growth, this is for the full year, 2023, um, you know, high single digits trading at a multiple, um, you know, that just probably doesn't warrant that right now. And you think that this is not like one of these 75, 80% gross margin companies. They have to spend a lot on that content. And it's about 40% uh, margins here. So so to me, I, I just don't find it particularly compelling. And I think if you've been long the stock, um, I mean, listen, guy, I bought this stock after one of those gaps last year below $200. I don't still own it. I sold it and then sold it again. Um, but what I'm saying is just think about how far this company or the stock has gone of this company when the sentiment was really bad, you know, six months ago. So to me, I'm, I'm in the camp of, um, I'm not saying you have to short it into the print, but if it were to pop, I'd be looking to sell that um all right liz young ey from sofi we really appreciate you doing some heavy lifting here from the sofi headquarters in you know this is this is an allen wrench i, I don't know who he or she was but 
Looks like a um, when did market call become a friggin' hour long show? <laughs> By the way, I got people saying here a friendly tip, make it a 30. Let me tell you something, pal. We'll make it as long as we friggin' want. Okay. You get what you pay for. Number one. Number two, <laughs> thank you, EY from SoFi. And how many shows are you going to get? Godfather, Darwin, Shakespeare. You just not, it doesn't happen. No, nope. it doesn't freaking happen. Peeps. You heard it here first and last and probably yeah. never again. <laughs> That's it. Dan, go ahead, Dan. I know you want All to take right. us out well, clean was, so we I can mean, clip that too. We got it. We got, we got to thank our, our sponsor and our data provider facts set. We got to thank Liz young again, while she's at a work <laughs> offsite joining us for an extended version of market call. And guy, why don't you just take us out here? Because you seem to have a lot of fun today. Today. <laughs> every freaking day, every day above ground for somebody my age is a effing miracle. But that's it. We won't see you tomorrow because tomorrow's Friday, unless something really stupid happens. And listen, we could fire up this machine. We could go to the AOL thing to dial up and we're back with you. But who knows? Otherwise, we're back on Monday with the great Carter Braxton Worth. Thank you, EY. Enjoy California. Have a oh, safe trip back. We'll see you Monday, which I'm totally dig. Dan, obviously, you're the you're the force behind us. You're the person that keeps us on the rails. No, you, you are you it. are Casey <laughs> Jones, by the way. And then you get some friggin' Grateful Dead shit too. Later, people.